Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Flex This. I'm your host, Jen Hoffman. I have a friend on that I haven't seen what we decided five years in, in yep. person. Yeah, um, five years. And also that we're going to protest time because it is a lie. Um, <laughs> but I have Liz Aldridge with me. Um, Liz, could you tell uh, listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hello, listeners. Uh, I'm Liz Aldridge. <laughs> I am a, f- um, a former personal training client of Jen. So I would say I'm a a mediocre athlete, um, a mother of a recent mother of three, um, and I work as a technology consultant here in Phoenix, Arizona, with my lovely husband Jack, um, and our two dogs and three children, and it's a menagerie in our house, and uh, everything else we'll figure out as we go on. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Liz and I met through um, somebody that was on earlier in the season, Bethany, and we kicked it off right away. I, you know, I loved spending time with you and Jack. Um, I, I think I laughed and swore so much in those sessions, and we were meeting like mad early. Like, oh my god, it was still dark. It was still Horrible. dark, freezing because we lived mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Then. Oh. Yeah. Don't miss that. Oh my God. I know. I told Jack I was doing this. He's like, what the hell? Like, why am I not? And I was like, dude, don't fucking take, like, this is my thing. Leave me alone. You can stay downstairs and watch Cinderella with Charlotte. I'm coming to do this podcast. <laughs> the sacrifices he has to make Cinderella with Charlotte. Cool. <laughs> um, well, I'm excited, friend. Thank you for being here. Um, Absolutely. To kick it off, you know, to start this conversation, I always ask us, um, what is this journey, if you name it a journey, and how did you get to the language that you chose to name it? Yeah, and I know you sent me this question maybe like two or three weeks ago, and it's been like haunting my thoughts really? ever since. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, what is this word? Like, what is my journey? I don't know. Um, I think just because especially the last few, like life has just been so crazy lately that I don't think I've taken time really to like reflect. Mm. So that was, it was really good. I decided on a word. Um, and I think for me, the word is, is graciousness. I think mm-hmm. when I think about what I'm trying to do personally and in my life right now, I think that I'm trying to really focus on being gracious with myself and appreciating myself for what I'm doing and, and what I'm trying my best to do, whether it's attempting to keep my children alive or, <laughs> you know, making sure that we have, you know, food on the table and things to eat and people are getting through their activities and and also being gracious with others and realizing that like I don't know what shit they have going on like I don't need to be a bitch to this cat here because they screwed up whatever I'm doing like they might be having a really bad day too right and I think that that's something that in the past I've sort of struggled with I've I have an inner dialogue that's very critical of myself Mm -hmm. and then translate sometimes to impatience with others so I think the the more kids I have, the more I realize that like, there's people have a lot of shit going on. Like you don't need to be another person. Like nobody woke up this morning and was like, I'm going to ruin Liz's day. Like nobody is going out there trying to mess up your day. Yeah. Or at least I hope not. If they are, then also maybe you should self-reflect. But like, <laughs> I'd like to think that that's not the case for me. Yeah. And that if someone happens to ruin my day, it most likely wasn't intentional and I need to kind of have that so that's what I decided my word was is graciousness I'm trying to give people some grace these days there's been a pandemic going on there's now a a war I I, like nobody needs another person that's out there to give you a hard time and I'm just trying to like spread some good karma out there in the universe 
and give some to myself along the way and hope that things will pan out yeah. for, for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I, I, that seems to be a theme that I hear a lot of people and I don't know if it's the virtual world that made us kind of lose sight of that, the humanity in each of us. And I think about too, like time constructs are like, I don't know what your work day is like, but before you had like a 30 minute grace period between meetings, cause you had to walk to get there. Now it's like, you have to take an hour meeting on not, you don't even have time to unpack it. You just hope you took mm-hmm. really good notes. And then you're into the other one, which you're probably <laughs> at least three minutes late for. And you're apologizing to all those people. Cause you're trying to be mindful of everybody's time. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's 3 PM and you don't even know what the hell happened. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I've, in some ways, I think I've kind of adjusted to that a bit just because I've been working remotely for, mm. I think about like six or seven years now. I've been full-time remote. So I did have some time prior to the pandemic. I already had a headset and like knew what I was doing with my Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey, it's, it's hard, right? You're, you're not giving yourself that mental break or, mm. or, or even you have the space you need to, like you're saying, to decompress or to digest the conversation you just had, mm-hmm. and you're immediately in another one, and you have to be on, right? You're on a camera, you have to be listening, you can't be, you do, and you don't have that chance to kind of like shoot the shit. Like, you know, Bethany and I used to work together, and we would just like meet in the in the coffee room, and all of a sudden that was 45 minutes of my day. Sorry, Direct Energy, like you paid me <laughs> for that. Like, yeah, and I, and I think you miss that. Like, you can't do that. There's no crossing in the hallway or finding out about mm. someone or like seeing that they got a really cute pair of shoes and then talking about target for an hour, like none of that anymore. And I think it has such a, not just a mental drain, but I think that emotional drain, because you don't get that same kind of connection mm. as easily, right. You have to really seek it out now. Um, and then put a lot more effort in to make sure that it still feels genuine. Mm. And, and I think that's, it's just, it's harder. Everything's harder. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's really true. And I really think about like how, whether you're conscious or not, even if it was just surface level, like target, like you were saying is in some way you were allowed to just not have to be on like 100 Mm -hmm. on where you're actually critically thinking through problem solving, answering questions, trying to build out processes, you know, rolling out new technology. I mean, you just really think about what your brain needs to do now. And it's kind of, really impressive actually that we're able to even be able to sustain it. I say that loosely, um, (laughs) sustain it for even, are we, (laughs) (laughs) like I said, I say that loosely, this is me offering us all grace, (laughs) but yeah, like think about like two years of that and yeah, you know, that's, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to be really interested in, and I already started, I read, I'm reading, um, the, burnout epidemic and um the research that's going to come out of this like what has happened to our brains what has happened to how we socialize what happens what what has happened to us I think is going to be really fascinating that we're going to learn in the next five to ten years oh yeah I mean I can see especially just with my kids right so James was two and a half when the pandemic started Charlotte my second was two months old um you know, seeing how he is around, how he used to be around strangers and how he is now. He's a lot more shy and a little reticent. Um, Charlotte, you know, when she went 
to school. We started sending them to school um, this past summer. That was the most people she'd ever been around in her entire life. Mm. She was terrified, like did not know what to do with herself. Mm. And at first I was like, oh my God, like, do I have like one of those weird kids that doesn't like other kids or something? And then I was really like, no, like she literally doesn't have the skills to cope with this. Like the most people she had ever been around was like six people. She'd been around like me and my husband, James, my parents, and maybe like one or two neighbors. But I mean, our bubbles all of a sudden became so tiny and like for a little brain that's starting to get wired, like that was a, that's a really important time to understand social cues and facial cues and how to interact with people. And like all our little pandemic babies missed out on a lot of that. And I, I don't think I truly understood what that impact would be until we started putting ourselves back in these social situations. And for me, like, I always was kind of like, you know, hashtag no new friends. Like I'm good. I don't need to be in this big room right now, but you know, I'm trying to, I didn't want that to be like, forever I just wanted like I was happy in my 20s and I was like I'm good but like with the kids it's a big thing that now I have to cognizantly be like well a do I feel comfortable as a parent having my kids be around this many other kids because they're all too young to be vaccinated Mm -hmm. b do I trust the parents of these children like are they people that like think that science is a myth like are they you know anti- vaccinations in general I mean like don't even worry about now people aren't even like oh don't get your kids vaccinated for measles now they're just like don't vaccinate for anything like wild Wild. craziness um and so then you gotta weigh all of that with like what's what's worse like having a kid that may be completely like detrimentally messed up in society for the rest of their lives or like a risk of COVID that we don't really know what the risk is because it hits everybody differently Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it's, it's stressful, man. It's really yeah. stressful. Yeah. And it's scary because we don't know how that's going to impact them yet. I like to think that I'm a cool enough and like well-adjusted enough parent that my kids will be fine, but like, <laughs> probably not. I don't know, yeah. but it's, it's, it's scary to think of. And it's something that um, definitely keeps me up at night sometimes of like, what is this going to look like? in five years like are kids all going to be super messed up and weird or are we going to do such a big 180 as like as a society after this that we're going to like go you know full bore and then everybody's going to have all the activities all the time and then that's going to mess them up like Mm. I don't know Jen it's stressful yeah I think sometimes I'm like I should have definitely just had dogs like I never (laughs) had to worry about this when I only had dogs I didn't have these like existential worries about like how much am I like permanently damaging my children? <laughs> I was, like a dog. I'm like, I'm just going to cut up this hot dog and you'll be fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> here you go. Go sleep in a crate. I'm going to leave you alone for eight hours. Like none of all of that is frowned upon when you have kids. <laughs> Turns out you can't put your kid in a crate and just give them up. No, you cannot just, you're not like, Hey, I really want to go shopping. I'm just going to leave you in this crate. Here's some water and a few snacks. And, um, I'll see you when I get back. Bye. And you don't have a concept of time. So you won't even know that I'm gone. You're going to take a nap. And right. I think it was two it's minutes. Totally fine. Right. <laughs> Here's this little bone for you to chew on and I will see you later. Yeah. If I did that with my kids, people would be upset. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Tempting. <laughs> but I think it's round upon. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, there's a, um, it's interesting to me how language, even though we might be playing around with language that someone says one thing and it's like, oh yeah, duh, that's what I was trying to say. And in that book, what she was talking about, all burnout is, is our inability to access and utilize the tools to cope. That's literally all that burnout is. And when you think about that, to, to go back to what you're talking about with tiny humans and stuff like that, I just think it's really interesting because I, I think we were already kind of going down that path to be really transparent because we would, we, we, we as a society, um, like when you were a kid, when you went grocery shopping, if you cried, you just had to figure it out. Like you literally just had to figure it out while you were like in the grocery cart. Right. But now like you can hand your kid your phone. So now you like instantly are able to cope from whatever you're experiencing and, and, and not yeah. have to navigate whatever the hell you are unable to navigate because literally what's happening is you can't formulate words or whatever that might be to understand mm -hmm. the world of which you are perceiving. And so I think we are already kind of going down that route, you know, and I, you know, I'm a silver lining person probably to a fault. And I wonder maybe this pandemic was a gift for us to realize, oh, too much technology, like now we're seeing too much technology and we can see it in a real tangible way of how that might be problematic. But we were kind of always already kind of going down that road, route to begin with. So maybe this is a way for us to find that balance of, yeah, you can be on a screen, but it shouldn't be your, your you know, it's like a, like an, a, a way to um, manage your emotions without actually managing your emotions, you know? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, don't take away cocoa melon from me. Like it's a very important <laughs> part of our family sanity, but there certainly is that I think something that um, I've been working on a lot with James uh, and Charlotte a bit, but James, um, like twos were fine. Threes, love him, but he was a little bit of an asshole. And we really had to work on like, he just had these epic, epic tantrums. Mm. And I was reading like, what do you do at first? I was like, oh, I'm just going to ignore it and they'll stop. But like that didn't, and that works for some kids. James is very, very sensitive. That does not work for him. Then he feels abandoned and like it, it makes it worse. And so if I was like, how do we do this? And it was like, we need to start helping him understand how to name his emotions. Like, mm -hmm. what is it that you're actually feeling? Because they don't know the words to express what it is. So now he'll be, I mean, he still has transfer, but he'll be like, I'm so frustrated you. And I'm like, okay, well, good. That's good. Now we understand, like, what is it that you're frustrated? But it's, you know, like those kind of things you don't think about like, oh, he doesn't know the words to say what it is. And mm -hmm. so he's just going to go like balls to the wall and throw himself on the ground right. in Target. Um, and I feel like it, it's helping. But yeah, I mean, technology is not going to teach you that. I mean, I guess there's probably some sort of game where they have to like match faces of words. Or, I don't know. I'm sure the technology they've tried to do that. I'm not even going to bother Googling that. I'm just going to like teach my children words, but like each his own. <laughs> I'm sure that there's some scientists that probably figured out a way to put it on an iPad for parents, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I think that that's such an important part for all of us to be like, what is it that I'm feeling? Like, yep. am I really angry or like, what is this emotion? Am I mm -hmm. being frustrated with my situation? Am I feeling that I'm unheard and I'm kind of actually a little sad about that? Am I like, what is it? I think even as adults, sometimes I wish that people would stop throwing their adult sized tantrums and be yep. like, let me name my feelings. Mm -hmm. What is it that's going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. I, I say it all the time. When you see an adult behave in a way or say something that you would describe as shitty, that's just the small child in them unable to navigate whatever the hell is happening for them. And we all oh, have totally. it because we don't always have the right words, you know, like, um, 
for examples, a, a word that I was un, a bit, I have been unpacking a lot lately is um, oh, now I lost the word. Of course, I did. <laughs> been doing some great work, Jen. <laughs> I'm doing really great work. Um, oh my god, betrayal, betrayal. Oh, oh. Um, and so I always thought it was. I always th- felt it as a word of like, like what I thought I was experiencing was just how could you not? Let me give an example. Um, being a gay person. And looking the way that I look, I was experiencing an emotion that I couldn't understand. If you say that you love me and you see me, how could you vote a certain way? How could you say the things that come out of your mouth? And I felt Mm -hmm. hurt. The only language I had was hurt. But I realized the deep seat of that is a, a betrayal that I feel like I can't actually trust you fully because you you would choose that over me. And that feels like a betrayal. And I didn't have that yeah. language before until recently when I was trying to unpack it, just, just to give an example. So, you know, I'm in a 38 years old. I work in social emotional learning for six years and did it with children all the time. And even now I'm learning new words to be able to describe my human situation. Absolutely. And I think that's part of becoming more self-aware mm-hmm. and also of taking the time to think about what is that feeling right because part of it is being hurt but it's so much more complex than that hurt is a surface level emotion it's well why am I feeling hurt and Mm -hmm. it's because that is into each you know everybody's going to feel something differently but it's like well what's the driver there like why am I feeling this way Mm -hmm. and in your case that is betrayal and I think that that you know that it's a betrayal of trust Right. Like if you're building a relationship with someone, then you want that to be reciprocated. And then if you're sharing parts of yourself and then they take actions that go against right. who you are fundamentally as a person, right. right? Like they're going against that trust and that bond of like what you shared with them. And that is betrayal. Like to me, that's the, the perfect world, but I were not perfect world, <laughs> not perfect world, <laughs> perfect word. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think sometimes I wish that we could, all just like hit the pause button and be like, well, I don't need my like hashtag emotion. Like, what is it that's actually here? Not the like 10 second version that I can just like say that, oh, well, it's fine. And then move on. Yeah. And then it comes back to bite you 10 years later. Yeah. Well, and unpacking it, you know, I had to unpack it. Like when it first happened, like I remember, I remember being in Pittsburgh, finding out that Trump won that that morning. And That's a shit day. What a shit. It was a shit day. Shit day. I cried. I cried. You remember my next door neighbor, Glow, literally sobbed. We sobbed. <sighs> Rough day. Is, yeah. I, and then I had to go into Pittsburgh public schools and I had to have conversations with kids that none of which were 100%, <laughs> not none of which, but a majority weren't 100% white. And they all had questions of, they were, am I going to, am I going to be deported? Like you're having, you're telling nine-year-olds that they're not going to be deported because the information that we are pretending that we aren't hearing the mm-hmm. behaviors, this individual is modeling go, you know, and they're like, Oh, that would never happen. Kids don't get, they'll, they'll be fine. Y'all don't get it. Like what comes out of somebody's mouth and their actions, kids are, don't care what comes out of our mouth. They're looking at what we do. They don't, you can say all that you want to say, but what are you modeling in behavior? Anyway, I digress, but that it's true. from, from that moment, until like now, like trying to find the right language, like, you know, I felt rage, I felt frustrated, I felt helpless, I felt 
you know, I felt all these things, but like at the deep seat of it was this idea that a large group of people, some of which I could have do have called family, whether that's blood or not, um, by choosing that and by, by deflecting and saying when bad behaviors that he would model come up and deflecting the conversation, just, it was just another version of betrayal, just another oh, yeah. version of, of supporting. Like, yeah. Like still not cool to say grab her by the pussy guys. Yeah. Not turns cool. out, turns not out. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> not cool. <sighs> that one stung a bit as a, yeah. <laughs> I don't even, I didn't even have a daughter back then. And I was like, not cool. That's the other thing. That's another thing that blows my mind. Like I can't fathom, I can't fathom voting for somebody that would talk to my anyone. child. That well, anyone, but like any when, human being that way. Yeah, I um, I I saw, I heard this guy say something today that was really interesting, and I never thought about it because I'm I'm not a straight white man. Um, but he <laughs> he just made this comment. He said the reason he he said I think one of the reasons why men are disappointed when they have when they have a girl instead of a boy is now they have to spend eight year eighteen years protecting them from the very thing they were their entire lives. A hundred percent. And it's terrifying. It's it's not eighteen years though. It's their whole lives. It's their whole yeah. lives. But unless they unless like someone like my dad who is the most kind, gracious, wonderful like amazing per- like he was never an asshat like he was and has and always will be like a wonderful person like he probably had nothing but I mean he knew other people that <laughs> were not like that and you're like oh my god they're gonna try to date my daughter and that's horrible and I dated a, a large majority of those men um before I found Jack mm. who's a little shady but like just right just the right <laughs> <now>. um <laughs> but like but yeah I can't it's rough. And then I think of like, James, like, how do I make sure that I raise a son that understands like consent and how to not like belittle women and doesn't mansplain to them? Like it's all mm. sorts of things. Again, parenting is very stressful. A lot of pressure. It is a, a lot, lot of pressure. pressure. Yeah, it is. It's like, I, I was going to say something like, like, it's like a chia pet, but like with really big consequences, if you get it wrong. <laughs> I asked for a chia pet for Christmas one year and like, it just never sprouted. It was like my first true disappointment. <laughs> my first true thing I tried to like grow and like nurture and uh-huh. it did not, it did not go well. Yeah. <laughs> chia pet with emotions and consequences. <laughs> What's Pretty also wild though is like, you also don't have any control. Like you just get no control. You, you get what you yeah. get. Which is another, yeah. like not, we don't need to go down this entirely, but like the trans athlete thing, it just, would you, would you, these people that are like, they're taking away my daughter's son's rights for certain things to play sports. Would, if this was your child, would you, would you feel that way? Would you want your child to not have the same experiences that that child's asking for? Because I'm pretty sure that's not true. So I have a, a cousin who's trans and he is a, a, a lovely boy. And if he was in sports, I would want him to have that exposure. And if he wants to play soccer, he should get to play soccer. And if he wants to play basketball or I don't know what sports do kids play at school, like fo- football. No, nobody should play football. I'm against it for football. Nobody should get to play football, but like swimming or something, whatever, like they're kids, like don't yeah. put your weird ass political agenda in kids sports. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like the Olympics and stuff, I'll be straight up with you. I don't know how I feel about it because mm-hmm. I think that there are some like physiological, like 
things that are an advantage. And so I don't know, like, I think I'm okay with it, but I could, I can see both sides of the coin, maybe I'll say. So like, I still think it's okay, but I could see why maybe some other athletes would be frustrated if there is that, like, I'm just thinking of swimming. Like if you have a Michael Phelps-esque, you know, person who identifies now as a woman, like maybe if I were a swimmer, I'd be like, what the, what the fuck? Like, I don't even have a chance now. Like you, mm. this is no fun for me. Like mm. you've taken the fun out of it. Do I think that that would be the, no, like, is it worth it then to like ruin that other person? I don't know. I feel like when you get into things where like maybe millions of dollars are at stake or there's some other impetus, like maybe not that the answer is different, but I think that the emotions around it are a little more complex when you're talking about children like just let them play fucking soccer like who gives a shit nobody here's good like nobody's (laughs) making it to the pros just let them play if they want to play yeah let them go to the bathroom where they need to go to the bathroom yeah like who's winning here yeah nobody wins right yeah, so and that's like, not the point. Like the point is that you learn to yeah. play in a team, you learn to get to play, you learn to explore your body. And to ex- and see- and to, exactly, and to accept other people and to make mm-hmm. friendships with people that you don't normally make friends with maybe. And all of that I think should apply regardless mm-hmm. of how someone identifies. I I still, and it's like, I'm, un- I'm unpacking this as we go. I, when it comes to like professional things where they're, where it is a career and there's millions of dollars or whatever at risk or the Olympics. I don't, I don't know if I have a different opinion. I don't think I do, but I could understand, but I could understand the frustration. Like I think people should be able to compete in the way that they identify, especially if that's their, that's been their experience and their life. Right. I Mm -hmm. mean, if someone were to tell my cousin, Hey, I know that you've identified as a boy since the age of eight, but now you can only, you can't compete as a boy. Like, what no that's not that doesn't make sense right I don't think that that benefits anyone to the same to that same point yeah but no I agree I think it's complex and I think what you know I'm going to be really put myself on blast here when you don't know anybody that's trans either it's really easy to make an assumption and so I played professional women's football even though you said Mm -hmm. no to play football um, I, I hold by that statement. It's fine. No, Even there's a lot of brain damage. There is just Cle- clearly. <laughs> um, anyway, but can you, you know, hear this ringing by the way? Like some, there's like, okay, I think I got to stop. Sorry. There no, was I don't hear any some of sort of beeping. God, these headphones are great. I'm going to yeah. have to give a shout out to Plantronics after this. Okay. Um, yeah. So you played women's football. You don't know anyone trans. You, but I didn't at the okay. time. Oh, and I played yeah. against somebody that was trans. And a lot of the things that people innately go to of it's unfair. Why would they do that? And you just realize that this person just wants a place to belong and compete. They're not right. transitioning to like to to transition to women's sports so they can dominate. First of all, that that physically can't happen because of the amount of estrogen and and the regimen. Right. Like, yeah you're going to be slower. You're not going to be as fast. There's like, even that swimmer, um, that I can't think that Thompson, what's her first name? Oh, um, I know it's escaping me. I'm, I'm so sorry to, to that individual that I cannot remember your first name right now, but they are not as fast as they were. They took a year off even, you know? And, and so the argument, and what's interesting to me is we only, we only have that conversation when it comes for trans women athletes. It's okay if uh, if you want to be 
a trans male athlete and there is Olympic mm-hmm. athletes that are competing at the, at the male level and that's okay. But, you know, to your point around what makes it complex is you can't, you can't take testosterone. You can't dope certain things in your body. So the question mm-hmm. really is um, how do you regulate it? How, how can it be regulated? Cause what is that runner? Right. There was a runner in Africa. I forget who her was name. The, oh my God. Who, who was just a woman who just had, just had, had high, high levels. Yep. And, right. she, and she couldn't compete because she just had genetically horseshit. Yeah. So you know, how do you find the balance though? Again, some of that is just people being like that to women and in all facets of our lives, right? I think oh, big, if big that, like there. you're telling me Michael Phelps doesn't have a little bit more testosterone than some other people. And that's why he's like, yeah, yeah, bullshit. But I think they're just, Good point. <laughs> they're Good point. just trying to control <laughs> one other aspect of our bodies. Oh, um, God, that makes me even more mad, but you're right. You're right. Cause the agenda is really easy to pro- like project all that shit onto women's sports, but they never talk about that with, with men's sports. No, they're like, oh my gosh, you have too much testosterone. You're going to be so much faster than everybody else. Yeah, that's a fucking point. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like, there's a whole thing. It's called survival of the fittest. Like, there's a whole thing around this. It's a, like, yeah, we're not all the same. That's why we compete. Right. Like, that's the whole, that's why you train. Like, yeah. some people are just going to be more naturally gifted and have better genes. Yeah. It's why, like, it's not just sport, right? Like I'm not athletic, but I'm a really good singer. That's genetic. I have the gene that makes like, that's how this works. People. I don't understand. Like, yeah. Yeah. And my, my, um, my, my boss actually made a really valid point because he was a swimmer and he said, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to make regulations, like let's talk about how really tall, large swimmers already have an advantage over somebody that's five, four. So if you're Michael Phelps with an eight foot wingspan and hands that are a foot long, which are basically massive paddles, you already have an advantage just for the sheer fact of how you, you literally were born. And, and so, if, yeah. or a runner, if you have long ass legs, you literally have to do half the work as somebody with short fucking legs, like literally physiologically, your gait yeah. is different. So if we're going to debate something, should it be that we compete by height? Yeah, like maybe it shouldn't be sex-based at all. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe then I would have a chance. No, no, I would not have a chance. But it would be a little more fair, maybe. Well, that's the other thing too is like... I'd like to compete against other five, six, slightly out of shape suburban moms. Where is that category? Other than, I guess, my Peloton class? <laughs> like. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. Can I put all these genres of who I am in and then compete against these people? Cause now we're talking yes. about fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm here for it. Could you imagine those Olympics? Yes. I want to only compete against women who also pee a little bit when they jump and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's my yeah. line. That's your line. Every mom that's had a baby, it just laughs so hard and literally might've peed just for, for me saying that. I'm here with you. I'm here for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I could, t- I could go into so much more detail about that, but I won't, but I'll just say like, I don't do jumping jacks anymore and that's okay. You're not the first mom that has told me that. <laughs> you probably won't be the last either. No, 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 no. But yeah, that's, how did we get, what were we talking about? <laughs> um, we were talking about tiny humans. And, oh yeah, tiny and, humans. And developing the brain and which yes. we started from, what will our brains look like? 
I love these rabbit holes. I think this is the best part about being it's so great that you could just like go off the beaten path. Of oh my God. Exploration. And then also all of this is connected like in every capacity. It's true. Somehow I'm sure it's connected to Kevin Bacon. We just haven't gotten there yet. Random. You know, six degrees of Kevin, like everything is six degrees of Kevin Bacon. No. Ugh. Am I dating myself? I thought it was just six degrees from every, like you, there's a six. Degree. So there's, so there's six degrees of separation. And then there's a game called six degrees of Kevin Bacon, oh my God. where you should be able to take any actor. And then within six other like movies or something, you should be able to connect them to another actor, Interesting. like connect them to Kevin Bacon. So you'd be like Ashton Kutcher. And then you could like, come up with how he's somehow connected to Kevin Bacon. It's a game. Ooh, sounds it's like a thing. Game. I really didn't make that up. I'm not that cool. I, but I, it's I a, <laughs> yeah. Six I'm, degrees of Kevin Bacon. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Um, right. People go like post in the comments. You listeners <laughs> post <laughs> yeah, in the comments. Totally. You're six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Is that, pick a random is that what they do? Yes. Pick a random person and we'll, we'll Kevin Bacon it for you. Yeah. Yeah. What is the other one of like, what was it? That name game. Oh my God. This is like bringing up summer camp years of like where you had to say a famous person. And if it was a double name, like Janet Jackson, then you had to do like a double J name. Do you, did you ever play this? I played it as a drinking game in college, I think. <laughs> so yeah, I don't remember playing this as a youth, but I have vague recollections of it in college. <laughs> Weird that it's vague. <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> oh, come on, Jen. I was in a sorority. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, maybe, but to be fair, all summer camp counselors are basically college kids so they probably just took their own games and were translated in that's a really good point like yeah one way or the other but everybody was playing it in like the summer of 2001 yeah for sure for sure um so Liz tell me about like what's it been like to be a mom like to go from like pre-mom to post-mom and like how it's transitioned how you see the world, how you show up in the world. Wow. I would say like shit, shit got real probably is like a a good way to say it in a nutshell. Um, so I think, um, in future James, if you ever listen to this, hopefully I will have told you this already, but I mean, I got pregnant on accident with James. Um, I wasn't entirely sure that I wanted children. Mm. And then I found out I was having one and, you know, Jack and I decided that we would be parents and, um, yeah, that was a really crazy time. At the time I was, uh, there was some other layers there. I had been diagnosed with stage three cancer the summer before, and I wasn't supposed to get pregnant. And I was really worried about my hormone levels changing and how that would impact things. And it, so I had all these, when I got pregnant with James, I had all these just really conflicting emotions because I was at a point in my life where I was like, well, if I'm going to be a mom, I guess this would be a good time to do it. I was in a healthy, committed relationship with someone that I felt safe with. Um, But on the flip side, I was dealing with cancer. I wasn't really happy with my job. My husband and I decided we were going to move across the country and move in with my parents while we were looking for a house. (laughs) Like there was all these things going on. It it was a lot. So I feel like becoming a mom, initially, I was like, what? in the Royal F is going on. Like my entire life essentially was all flipped upside down, how I viewed things, how I viewed myself and what I wanted to 
to care about more in the world changed, especially after I got cancer, where I was like, I don't think I care so much if I lose this extra five pounds. I think I care if I feel happy within myself, right? Like Mm -hmm. I really started refocusing a lot of what my priorities were just in general. Mm -hmm. And I guess in that respect, once I kind of came to terms with it, I I think that being a mom was maybe a a natural, like a, it was a good way to, to continue changing all of my priorities for the rest of my life. (laughs) But, um, transition, (laughs) but, uh, I think it's made me a lot more understanding of the fact that everybody's different. Um, and that some of it you have no control over, right? Like, and it's one thing to know that and like appreciate, like I have siblings, I know we're all different, but we're all from the same parents. It's another thing to like literally grow a person inside of you that you have, and then like do it a few times and every single one is totally different. It's really trippy, um, to know that like, there is this kind of like nature versus nurture. Like some people are, that's just, they are the way that they are and, I think it's made me a lot more empathetic to people to realize that maybe, maybe it's not your fault. You're such an asshole. Like maybe you were just born that way. Like, mm-hmm. um, but uh, not really. That's, that's probably learned, but, <laughs> I, like, but, but I think that was a, a big thing for me. I, I think another one was becoming a girl mom mm. versus I, I only ever had um, brothers and I tended to have a lot of friends that were primarily male until like college as in a sorority but I think I just um have maybe I, I don't know maybe I just really like boys but I've just always had a lot more guy friends and being a girl mom I was like oh wow I have so much more of a responsibility to myself but also to them to I don't to make sure that they see themselves for the beautiful amazing gifts that they are mm. you know and, and like little things that i you know, really I'm, I'm working hard on is like not criticizing myself in front of them, not to be like, I don't know. It's it's probably like an Instagram. I'm sorry. I have to pick up this baby. She's crying. Um, but, uh, the whole, like, just wear the swimsuit, like just wear the swimsuit and get in the pool. Nobody cares that you have cellulite. Like that's really hard for me to do and to not obsess about and want to wear a cover up and then not get in the pool because, you know, my legs are fat and I'm 25 pounds heavier than I would like to be right now. Cause I just had another baby. Like that's really hard for me to not voice those things. And it kind of, it's hard for me. It's pretty near impossible not to think them at the moment, but to not say it out loud, because I would never want Charlotte to not get in the pool. I would never mm. want Charlotte or Nora to not put a swimsuit on and have fun. And I've always, my whole life envied girls that just did that, that like didn't notice that they're like, you know, their stomach was hanging over their swimsuit bottom or like that their legs were a little chunky or whatever. Like I've always been very self-aware and self-conscious about how my body looked. Um, and I think that I've, especially for me, like swimsuits or, or anything like that, you know, even this past weekend, we had two of our best friends were getting married. And I think I ordered like eight dresses and it was like the worst thing in the world trying them on. And I just was like, I don't feel pretty. I don't want to do like, I'm not going to wear this. This is horrible. Da, da, da. Like, I don't want to be doing that in front of girl. Like I want my daughters just to be like, I think I like the way I feel in this and I'm going to wear it today. Right. Mm-hmm. Not what does everybody think of me? Can you see my stretch marks in this dress? Right. So that's been really, I think an eye opening thing for me in terms of like personal growth is trying to 
make sure that what I'm sending out is a message of like how I view myself and how I'm going to treat myself and my body that I'm trying to be healthy about that in front of my girls. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't to say like that my mom wasn't. Um, she's wonderful and she's always taken really good care of herself and she's always been very supportive. So I honestly don't know. I'll blame, I don't know, television or Cosmo or something. I don't know where I picked <laughs> that up because like I certainly didn't really grow up with that. Yeah. But um, that's kind of something that I have become really cognizant of, especially now that, you know, Charlotte is dressing herself and putting on little dresses and they're so cute. And I don't want her to ever like not wear a cute little dress because she feels bad or something. It would like break my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's probably when you talk about like, how have I changed being a mom? I think I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm treating myself better mentally and physically, but mostly mentally, because, you know, kids like do a number. Um, and then, yeah, making sure that I'm setting a good example for them. Um, also, I get way less sleep. I get a lot less sleep. That's been a big change. I like to sleep. Girl does not like to get up. I hate mornings. My kids all apparently love them. So now I'm married to a husband who likes mornings, and I have two kids, and this one appears to look like she's going to as well. Just like, I want to be up at 6.30 on a Saturday. It's my personal hell. <laughs> That's fun. Ideally. Not even that much later. Like 8, maybe 8.30. Like, not that much later. Just an hour and a half. Just need it. I just want a little extra. Just a little extra <laughs> sleep. <laughs> That's more than fair. <laughs> I, you would think. I'm like, I brought you into this world. Like, why can't I have an extra 30 minutes? <laughs> and the answer is that apparently only mom can make pancakes. Who knew? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can't you know, put Jack, children in cages. <laughs> and that is, the main, that is the main issue is you cannot put a children in a dog crate. <laughs> that would solve so many of my life's problems right now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I want to say that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I um, am always fascinated. Um, two things. One is people that you know becoming moms and dads, and like the way it shifts them and the way they perceive. And not that our parents, grandparents didn't love us, but the way we articulate, I can understand a lot better. And I think we use our words very differently. And so for that generation, it was maybe by showing up to all our little league games, they maybe didn't say certain things, but it was, it was just different. And mm-hmm. when I hear people talk about becoming a parent and what like you were describing of like, I can't imagine Charlotte putting on a dress and not feeling like I look like the shit. And like that being her automatic response every single time, that wasn't your words, but my words, but, but um, I want those to be her words. I am the shit. <laughs> Full stop. That's, that is the word that I want her to think every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not that our parents weren't thinking it. It's just really fascinating one to be in an age to hear people say that, but then to realize like, that's what your parents were thinking if they didn't say it out loud. Right. It's really fascinating. And I just want to know, and I don't know, but like, how do I make sure that, 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 that doesn't go away? Like, I want her to always feel that. And I know like I can say it to her as much as I want, but like, as a parent, Mm. like all of a sudden I care so much more about her well-being or my son's well-being in terms of like how are they going to feel loved and supported and heard and feel like they have a a great place in that no matter what they do they will be unconditionally loved 
Like I care about that so much more than I ever cared about. Like before I just cared about myself and like making money, which I still care about. I, I like to have nice things, but like that was, you know, I was like, I want to make six figures before I'm 30 and I want to have a house and I want to do that. Like I was so much more like possession focused and now I'm so much more, how do I make sure that the people I'm putting, I'm creating in this world are going to contribute in a way that I'm going to be proud of. Mm. And how do I make sure that they feel how happy I am to be their mom Mm. every second of every day? Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Minus the like lack of sleep. I'm not a fan, but like yeah, other than I that, I'm super, <laughs> super, 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 super stoked to be a mom. But um, yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, that was definitely a big, I think it changed me a lot as a person. Mm. I haven't really thought about whether anybody else would say that, but I feel deep down inside I've changed in, in those ways. Mm. Um, yeah, I think a lot more about things other than myself. Do you think that, um, well, I would venture to say in challenge in the sense of that probably was always true. This having kids just helped you get there, right? Like I, 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 I'm a believer that, um, life, universe, spirit, God, whatever the hell you name it is offering you at all times the thing you need to become the best, highest, most authentic version of your being, always. And that's why I think I love hearing about uh, parents um, that are able to articulate in such a lovely way, because that's what I hear is this, this inner knowing that's always existed, just transpiring into a love and into a behavior and into a, a want for something greater inside your tiny human. And, and that's, and to be fair, that's not true for a lot of kids. You know, there's, there's kids that their parents, you, you know, you, you would think that they'd want the best for them, but they're like, oh shit, my kid's outgrowing me. And that that's threatening for some, some people, you know, I've worked with kids where they, had the opportunity when I did dancing classrooms, they got chosen to be one of the kids on the team and their parents said, no. And it is crazy, but it's, you know, I, people are hard and you know, there's, there, there is, you know, every human behavior is a function. Their why could be just a a fear of losing. It could be losing their child because they can Mm -hmm. see them growing in a way that they can't keep up with literally. You know, I, 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 there's a book called Limbo that talks about that, about blue collar parents that um, did not want their children to have a blue collar life and work their asses off for them to go to school and become white collar individuals and the separation that happened from that because they can't identify with their children anymore because they didn't grow the same way. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know what I think about. Yeah. I think a lot of things, Jen, but I, I think everybody is impacted differently mm-hmm. by all the things that happen in their lives. And sure. I feel like if you're the kind of person that is going to be a glass half empty and is going to find things that are going wrong or people to blame, 
when you have kids, your kids are going to be the ones that you blame for everything mm. going wrong. If you're the kind of person that's trying to be optimistic and find good things, then your kids are going to be the impetus for you to be working to be a better person. And, mm. and I think that that's, I don't, so yeah, so I guess I agree. Like there is no like fundamental thing that like you have a parent and all of a sudden you're a good person. I think if you're kind of an ass before, you're probably still going to be one after you have kids. Not all the time, but a lot of times, because I don't think that you're going to just like change who you are. And I think that it's a choice you have to make to try mm-hmm. to be the better version of yourself. Yeah. And it's not always the easy choice. No, and it's you never have the to easy make, choice. It is it's never, never the easy choice. Easy. Yeah. And I mean, then you're making a whole, like, there's this whole host of sacrifices you have to make when you become a parent, regardless of choosing to be a, trying to improve yourself or be a better person, right? Like you're sacrificing your time, your sleep, your money, your energy, your space. Hmm. Like there's no, there's so much fit in our house now. Like, I don't know why there's so many different types of Legos. Like you just <laughs> like all these things, right. That used to be your, your, your freedom to go to the grocery store or literally anywhere by yourself or to the bathroom by yourself, right? Like you're sacrificing all of these things. And that's just like the base level, like bare minimum. That's what you have to do to keep your children alive and like well-tended. And then on top of that, and it's like, oh, and if you want to make sure that your kid isn't a total like shithead, here's some other things you should be doing. You need to make sure that you're reading to them every night. You need to make sure that you're like, that you're thinking about how you're talking in front of your children so that you don't give them complexes. You want to be, I think the new thing on my Instagram is like, you can't say be careful to your kids anymore because like you want them to take risks or I'm going to say, be careful. I don't, I can't do that one, but like, there's all this pressure and all these things you're constantly having to change and learn and, and improve your, the way that you communicate and the way that you understand. And then add to that, just the general sacrifices of being a parent. And it's really hard. And not everybody, I think, appreciates that when they decide to become a parent, they just think of it like, I'm going to have a kid and they'll be my best friend and everything will be cool. And it's going to be so much fun. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, that's like the end game when they're like 25, but there's like a hell of a lot that goes into it before then that you really can't prepare for beforehand. Maybe I guess some people like go to school and like our teachers and stuff. I didn't prepare at all. I was woefully unprepared. And so for me, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that I was like, Oh, I can't be this person anymore. Like I'm not a good, this isn't a good version of myself for me. It's definitely not a good version of myself for my kids. Mm. And and then I had a whole bunch of anxiety that went along with that. And it was like, a, it was a process to get, to get there. But I think, um, yeah, man, shit got real. Yeah. Shit got real. What, um, what, I have multiple questions. So and maybe they're all the, the same answer or uh, a slew of answers that fed off of each other. But I'm sure there's some point that you're like, when she, you know, shit's about to get real, the anxiety you're describing, the reality of like, oh, fuck. Like, if I want my kids to be something, I need to be that something. Like, mm-hmm. what was the turning point for you? And what did you start to, like, what tools did you start to gather to put in your bucket to help support that? Um. a really good question I would say one of this is a really maybe like silly example of this but it will explain it is so our children both go we're very we found a wonderful school here it's like a Spanish 
in um, Mandarin immersion, like preschool mm -hmm. that our kids go to. And um, so Charlotte's been going there for maybe about like seven or eight months at this point. And I was looking at, I don't know if it was like flashcards or My Little Ponies or something that was colored. And I was like, Charlotte, what color is this? And like, he didn't know any of her colors, none of the colors. And I was like, oh my gosh. So immediately I go into mom mode. I'm like, my, my daughter's colorblind. Like that must be the reason that she doesn't know any of these colors. She was not even two yet. Like there's no rational, like, no. Like she didn't need to know her colors, but crazy mom brain. I was like, she's colorblind. This is what's happened. So then I'm talking everything. And then I was talking to one of my girlfriends who's like a childhood education. Cause you know, then I sent a panic check out, text out to the mom group. I think Charlotte's colorblind. Like, what should I do? Where can I go get her tested? What are some like crazy mom things? Right. And then my God bless her, my friend Teresa, who's like a special like early childhood education goes, uh, Charlotte goes to an immersion school. Right. And I was like, yeah, she's like, do they teach them? Do they speak to them in English there? And I was like, no, she's like, so do you, Thirsty just doesn't know her colors in another language. And I was like, oh, shit. I was, <laughs> I was supposed to teach her the colors in English. Like, does she know her colors in Spanish? See, si. see si there, Dodd. Yes, she does. Um, English, we're working on it. And I think that for me is just a great example of like, you can't just sink it into happening. Like you have to take some effort to make it happen. Like I just assumed that like, Somehow she would have learned what all the colors were in English, but no, because someone would have to teach her those things. In this case, that person was supposed to have been me and I forgot. Um, but it was just one of those like, oh, duh. And I think that's just all of parenting. Like there isn't this like, oh, if I put out into the universe that my kid is going to feel loved and well-adjusted and well-read and have exposure to the arts, that like that will happen. Like, no, those things don't just happen. Like you have to make a concerted effort to expose them to those things and expose them to different viewpoints, the good and the bad, you know, expose them to religion, expose them to the arts and whatever it is that you want them to be exposed to except football because football is dangerous. But, um, and I think that that's, you have to make that effort. And I grew up in a really, you know, what I appreciate now as a parent, like how much work my parents put in to like take us to, you know, like, symphony concerts to sit and, and hear classical music or to travel you know mm. we would drive ugh, drive in our astrovan to Canada every summer to spend time with my grandparents but also to like see parts of the country and mm -hmm. camp and have those experiences like not everybody is fortunate enough to get that and I think my parents when they had a choice between having you know a nice astrovan or the one with the bullet holes in the back but we could go on a fun trip. They picked the one with the bullet holes and put a, you know, and put a bumper sticker over that bitch. And we went and it was An fun. ORV with bullet holes on the side. Bullet holes. Tell me, you know, it's Goonies. Tell me you knew that was from the Goonies. <laughs> uh, no, Jack would have. Uh. I, I, you could give me like a million dollars. I will never be able to name any movie quote on like a friend's quote, maybe 50, 50. Other than that, like I have nothing to offer in that arena. That is Jack. <laughs> That's Jack all the way. It's useless information that sits in my brain. Why is it the first thing I thought of was a Goonies quote while you're describing an Astro Man? Um, <laughs> but I'm glad that there is a movie quote. But that was a true, <laughs> that was our actual Astro Man. We put a Phoenix Boys Choir bumper sticker over the back of it and oh have God. a little hold. And <laughs> it was great. It, did, it served us well. Uh, if, tell me that you were a 90s baby without telling me that you're a 90s baby. We went on road trips in an Astro Van. So did we. 
<laughs> with, wait, wait, now, but did you have the five or the 12 CD disc changer in the middle compartment? Neither. We didn't even have CD player in ours. That's how old. I, we got like one of the original originals, like. Oh, no, we, oh, this is aftermarket. This was an aftermarket addition to the Astrovan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that did not come with an Astro van. I was like, wow, you were like time traveling back to the future. No, 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 no. That was an aftermarket purchase, probably at Radio Shack, maybe Best Buy, mm. um, for the CD disc changer. And then the reason you'll appreciate this as a fellow uh, road tripper, the reason that we went with an Astro van is because my mom would wanted one that she could fit a cooler in between the two front seats for all the snacks. <laughs> Because we're not stopping. And if you need to go to the bathroom, do it now. Actually, we had the, the, we had, we, our first, um, so we camped a lot too. And our first camper was a pop-up trailer. And when we would go. Oh my God, us too. (laughs) There's no bathroom. So no bathroom. All there's is that gross plastic toilet that we traveled with. And so when we were in the van, if we were like trying to get to a place we had that used... sucker came out yeah oh that's nice for us in the middle of the night we didn't have that little toilet you either had to like get a flashlight risk your life to like go find the bathrooms or just like squat and hope for the best <laughs> we also used to take it to drive-in movies which also i don't even know if those exist anymore i don't know but i've been really disturbed if i saw someone like pooping next to me in a drive-in theater we were in an astro van and it was like that's true you can't really tell yeah can't see anything that's fair all right, yeah. I'll allow it. That tracks. <laughs> the nineties were like they were a special time. They were a very special time. <laughs> very, special time. Very, Do they even make Astro vans anymore? I don't Probably know. Probably not. I haven't I seen know. one in a while. Oh, does no GMC still exist? I I can't, can't even I can't even keep track of the different cars that are like oh we're just not going to exist anymore. But yet you can still see them like Saturn doesn't exist anymore. You can still see them but doesn't exist anymore. Saturn doesn't exist anymore. Pontiac does not exist anymore. Oh, we had a Pontiac back in the day. Mm-hmm. Grand Am or That's Grand Prix? True. Um, I don't know which one is which one is the minivan one. Are they both minivans? <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're sports cars. <laughs> oh, no, we had a Pontiac minivan. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. The minivan. There were so many kids in my family. No, we were, no, we were straight minivans. For life? <laughs> oh, life. No, when I was a junior in high school, the Astrovan died and we got a used um, Forerunner and my mom still has it. And it's amazing. And she yeah. refuses to sell it to us. It has like 300,000 miles on it. It's one of the like wow. nice, like a, it's like an old forerunner. It's perfect. I love that car. Mom, if you're listening, miles. I want to buy it. It's so old. It's great. I really want it. Maybe like 285. It's very, That's very close. still really impressive. Like, yeah. And she, to quote Eleanor, is going to drive it till it dies. And like, but, but I, I want to do that. Why can't you give it to me? Okay. Um, it's blue. Mm. They don't even make that color anymore. It's great. I love that car. Wow, Anyways, awesome. I know I had to go. I went and bought my own Forerunner, but I would have rather bought hers. Yeah. They just don't make certain things the same way anymore. Like <laughs> washers and dryers. I, we have an old ass washer and dryer, but you know what? It doesn't have a computer and it's probably not very energy efficient, but it's easy to it's fix. Not, it's easy not to efficient. Fix. No, it is not efficient. 
but it's easy to fix. And I saw this really dope. Um, what is that Pickers show? Those two guys, they go like American the- Pickers. Oh, that sounds about right. <laughs> American Pickers question mark. <laughs> um, but they like went to this random barn to a car that hadn't been starting forever. And all it needed was a spark plug and like one thing. And it like, like started immediately. Just cool to me that things were that simple. Um, it's true. And that they could be fixed that easily. And you could know what needed to be fixed that quickly and that easily. Yeah. You can't do that with a Tesla. No, no, cannot. Definitely cannot. It's hard now. Yeah. yeah. Hard. No, but Anyway, we digress. Um, uh, Liz, could you tell me to wrap up a little bit on this um, human journey? What is something that you're learning? I'm sure with children, you're always learning something new, probably like by the second. But what is something that you're learning or trying to unpack right now? Something I'm learning or trying to unpack. I would say I've been focusing a lot this whole pandemic, but I think especially with this like latest edition of just like my inner dialogue. I'm really trying to like, like inner Liz is really like very bitchy, not very nice. Like inner Liz, she needs to like pump the brakes and slow down. Um, So I'm really working on that inner dialogue. I think as someone who was maybe a little like ADHD in high school and also a little super like creative and stuff, like there's like whole soap operas going on in my head all the time. Mm -hmm. I make up the most like elaborate scenarios of things that make no sense ever and and that whole inner dialogue sometimes can be really great because I think I'm very happy in my own company but a lot of times like I'm so critical of Mm. myself and and I think that it takes away my ability to appreciate what I have and to to focus on what I am able to do and, and deliver but also just that like constant like nagging in the back of my head of like oh you shouldn't wear that. Oh, you shouldn't do this. Oh, when you said that, you sounded like an idiot. Like whatever it is, right? That just keeps you up at night and keeps your brains like wheels spinning. Mm-hmm. And I'm really trying hard to stop myself from myself. If mm. that makes sense, to be like, no, like stop, say, stop saying that, right? Like, and I'm not fully sure yet how to do that. And I'm trying to to work through that. Of how do I change the way I talk to myself in my mind? Mm. And, and that's what I'm working on. And I'm a work in progress because I feel like if I can't be nice to myself, it's going to be really hard for me to be truly nice to to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, I think a lot of stuff has happened over the last few years and I'm not the same person I once was. And I need to like be okay with that and love myself for who I am now and the place that I'm at right now. And as someone who's like a type A personality, somewhat hyper competitive, and <laughs> um, and likes everything to be just so, I think I'm my own worst critic, and I can't get out of my own head sometimes. And I'm assuming I'm not alone. I'm sure there's other people that that deal with that. And if anybody has any tips on how to like help yourself be nicer to yourself, that's that's what I'm I'm really trying to to work on. I'm also, and I'm trying to drink more water is a big thing for me. That was my New Year's Year's resolution. (laughs) I try to drink at least one, if not two of these every day. My New Year's resolution is to drink more water. Um, And it's, that one is 
going a lot easier than trying to change the whole way that I view myself as a person. Mm. Um, so if you need an easy goal, I would start with the water and then work your way up. Yeah. I think yep. part of what I hear you saying too, Liz, is that you, you mentioned like ideas of yourself or like, you know, let, we have to grieve certain things too. We have to grieve the expectations we had because, you know, you were talking when we first started talking about like Cosmo and where did you get these ideas? We are pumped bullshit all day, mm-hmm. literally pump bullshit all day. And you have to decipher what is true for you. And that's so much noise. Like all the time you're trying to cancel out noise of, do I want this? Do I think I want this? Or is mm-hmm. something else telling me that I want this? Do I believe this? Do I want to believe this? Do I need to maybe add an addition to what I believe? Like all the time, at least for me, I think it has to be true for everyone, which is probably why we're so overloaded and we don't know what the hell to do. And then when we think about like turning on the news or trying to get information that is factual like you're just it's like putting your mouth on a fucking fire hydrant and someone just let that shit loose and you're like fuck it i just don't even want any water like screw it i'm I'm not (laughs) not even thirsty i don't need any of it but um yep i hear like this grief like you know Mm -hmm. letting go of who you thought you were going to become because the reality is you can plan but life happens you can only do so much Mm -hmm. and 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 then the grace of like getting out of your own way of, you know, are, is anybody really thinking about any of the things that I'm actually thinking about right now? Like I do this to myself sometimes is like in, in meetings where I'm like, Oh fuck, I kind of sound like a pretentious or maybe, maybe there's something I'm trying to be mindful of is like taking up too much space in meetings. Cause I'm pretty verbal and I'm, I'm not, I'm not afraid to speak my mind and say what I feel. And how many times does that maybe make somebody not want to show up? And am I that person like, oh, fuck, Jen's in this meeting again. So we're definitely like, she's definitely, I don't, you know, I've just, I don't know if people are thinking that, but I, it's really easy to go down a rabbit hole to make an assumption mm-hmm. that that's what people are thinking about you. And I really yeah. don't think anybody's thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. <laughs> true. It's so true. Although I don't know, Jen, maybe people do think that about you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I can tell you for a while there, people definitely thought that about me. Work Liz was like not cool for a while. I'd like to think that I'm a lot better now I've, as I've grown older and more mature and have had to sit in meetings with people like me that I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that person in that meeting anymore. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's hard. And I think what you touched on that, that grief, I think that's part of it is as a, as a parent, as a woman, as whatever, you do have to let go of that whole idea of what you thought your life was going to be Mm. and embrace the reality of what it is. Mm -hmm. And those are never going to be the same. And thank God, if I'd gotten everything I wanted, I would have been, well, minus the, like, just being able to like have so much money. I didn't have to work that. I I think I would have been able to live with that one, but like (laughs) where I thought I was going to be when I was 24 and where I am now, or like if someone was like in, when I was, how old would I have been? If when I was 29, if someone was like, in the next, in less than 10 years, you will move back to your hometown that you swore at the age of 18, you would never go back to, live 10 minutes away from your parents, be married to a Republican and have three children. I would be like, you are smoking some special kind of drugs and I would like some. Like there's no world in which any of those things or anything I ever would have said that I would do. And now I'm, I did all of those things and I'm so much happier than I ever could have imagined I would be. Yeah. But a little part of me is still like grieving the, 
oh, but what about the girl that was going to like work for the state department and be like a secret spy and travel all around the world mm. and like do whatever she wanted whenever she wanted to, and just be this like super cool, badass independent girl who mm-hmm. like was apparently some sort of like movie superhero, but like, <laughs> you know, like what happened to that girl that was just independent and didn't need anyone and could do whatever she wanted. Like I miss that. I loved being single. I loved my life then. I love my life now, but I'm a fundamentally different person. And sometimes you have to acknowledge that and grieve the person you were and then recognize that like, it's okay that you're not that person anymore. Like, mm-hmm. And thank God you aren't like you said. Thank God I'm not. Like, oh my God. I, I was a I'm, hot mess. If I was still talking about the things I was talking about at 25, I mean, like the way you shift and change and the the perception, I mean, yeah, for sure. And like, I don't think we always know what we think we need. I think we think we know what we need, but we we really don't have any idea. And it takes takes risk. It takes taking chances. It means um, sometimes being wrong. And by sometimes, I mean a lot, <laughs> like you're going to make mistakes and they're not mistakes. It's just, you know, growing into who you, who you're meant to be, you know, I made some, I made some solid mistakes, but yes, for the most part, or even thing like, you know, in college, I was in this really like incredibly toxic relationship that definitely messed with my mind for years. Mm. And when we broke up, I was devastated and it was this hard thing. But looking back, I'm like, I, it, that, that whole situation was horrible, but I know without a fact that like, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I probably wouldn't have such a healthy relationship that I have with my husband because like, I learned what it is like to be in a not healthy relationship mm-hmm. and had some years of therapy after that, where I was like, Oh, I don't, that's not how I want to be treated. That's not the kind of dynamic that I want to have like I don't want to be putting myself in these kind of situations and stuff but like it all happened for a reason Mm -hmm. it would have been great if I could have learned that some other way but I sometimes I feel like it's not possible to learn those lessons until you go through that Mm -hmm. and and it is what it is but like oh god I was a hot mess at 25 yeah I think you make a valid point though is like um I hear a couple of things in there one often what we don't want to learn is the the thing that keeps showing up regardless. You know, Pema Chodron says um, things repeat themselves until we learn the lesson. So when you keep repeating the same types of friendships, the same type of partners, Mm -hmm. that's information. And to go back to what you were saying earlier, which made me think about how we can recognize parts of ourselves and people. You've mentioned that you see the old version of you in meetings and you don't want to be that. And the only reason why you can recognize it is because you know who you are. And, mm-hmm. and to, so I feel like at all times, both of those things are working to shine light on where you need to put your attention of where you need to put your focus to be able to expand and do better in that area. And it isn't easy. We were talking about earlier, like it's, it is, it is hard work. It takes yeah, like not even intention. You need to deliberately make a choice every day to lean into that, to, to, to look at that, to, you know, exercise, flex that muscle that that's why this podcast is named this is like literally <laughs> work at it every single day. And if, yeah. you take, if you take a day off, like I find myself, um, because I'm my, my nonprofit work has shifted. So I don't really do a lot of the social emotional learning. And, you know, when you're in it every day, it's really easy to be like, Oh, this person, it's really easy to be present and compassionate and to be able to like, 
unpack why somebody might be showing up that way. I have to work a lot harder to reframe why somebody might say something or behave a certain way and be like, oh, maybe they're just having a shitty day. Like he didn't cut me off because he's a dick. Maybe he cut me off because his wife's pregnant and they need to get to the hospital. Like you don't know what someone's situation is. Right. And, and you know, two things could feel true at the same time too. You know, just because yeah. somebody behaves badly it, and didn't mean to doesn't mean it also doesn't have impact. And what does that mean for how you show up? Um, which is a whole nother like conversation of intent versus impact, you know, all the time you could have really good intentions, but that does not mean that the person's available for how you showed up, perceived it that way, has done the work to receive it the way that you intended. Mm -hmm. And you can't control all those things. It's so true. I, yeah, it's, I always try to assume positive intent because again, like I was saying earlier, like I really would like to think that nobody's waking up trying to ruin my day. But it's really hard sometimes. We were having an issue with like Airbnb this morning. We were on the phone with them and I was like, ah, you're the worst. <laughs> but, oh my God. But um, yeah, it's, it's hard, man. Life is uh, hard. Being a human's hard. Being human's hard. Yeah. Especially being human's hard, being a woman's hard. Being a working woman is hard. I've never been a man, so I can't assume. I'm sure that's hard too, but I'd like to, I, and I know, like, I shouldn't say this. I feel like being a woman's harder. I just do. Well, I mean, let's look around and there's, <laughs> it's pretty easy to gather the information here. <laughs> it's really not that difficult. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think it's harder to be a woman. <laughs> I, um, there's a, a book called Amateur and it's a, a uh, trans man that talks about transitioning and how going from being a woman and becoming a, ma a, a straight white man and the literally the way that before in meetings, how people allowed him to speak when he was a she and then moving into becoming a man and how people just shut up because you're in the room and like recognizing that women walk across the street now when he walks down the sidewalk at night and just mm -hmm. the way I, what a fascinating experience to be able to know what we're yeah. describing. Cause we only know what it's like to be a woman and then to own your truth, be become the human being that is most aligned to that truth. And then recognize just by showing up as what presents as a, a straight white man, the harm that your existence does to a human being without yeah. you even doing anything. You don't even have to say anything, just showing up in a space. It's true. It's true. But unfortunately, I feel like the majority of people that are in that category, right? They don't, they're not cognizant of that because that's only ever been their reality. Yeah. Like my husband, Jack, he's never like walked to his car at night with his keys in between his hands so that if someone were to attack him, he could like gouge them in the eyes and like run as fast mm -hmm. as he could. Like Jack's like, no, like, no, I'm just going to go fucking walk to my car. Like it's fine. Right? And I think those are the little things that happen in the back of your mind all day, every day that, you know, I, as I like to say, I feel like I've earned my crazy. Like I've, we've got a lot of things going on. I'm allowed to be a little bit crazy. I got a lot going on in here. A lot mm -hmm. of other factors to consider that guys don't have to worry about that mess with our minds. Yeah. No. And hormones, and like hormones. outside of hormones. Yeah. Like just everything. It's but, true. It's yeah. true. For real. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I'm just thinking of other people talking about conversations. Like, I, I, 
move in the world very differently is where I, part of who I am shows up visibly immediately. You know, I mm-hmm. look like a gay woman. Um, and then there's this other part of me that experiences white privilege because I'm part white. You know, I'm not, I'm a mixed kid, but I, I can pass as that other side, right? So there's like this interesting way of how I move through the world and how people see me mm-hmm. and how they respond yeah. to me. And if just a little of that was changed, you know, if I looked a little bit more Japanese or, um, you know, or even maybe a little bit more white, but, you know, like what that would have an impact on um, marginalized groups when I show up in the space, you know, I just think about all the, yeah. like, you don't fully understand the impact of like your existence. You know, I, I heard an author, a black author talking about how um, allyship and how that, that word is problematic and it's white savior complex and a lot of other shit. And um, one of the things that they mentioned was like, we don't want you at our barbecues because we can't even enjoy our barbecues. Like you're missing the point here. Like you being at a barbecue means that regardless if you are like, we are best friends, it still changes how we show up because of the whiteness, like just in general. And like how many people, women, marginalized groups are impacted by that. And if you're the, if you're the thing that is the quote unquote, I don't know what word I would use for a straight white man, but like the, the, the pedestal, I don't know what the fuck I would use there, but however we have, please don't use pedestal. (laughs) Well, like, what is the, what is the idea that our culture is putting around? Like that, that's the highest, the group, the fucking patriarchy, full stop. So like, yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a false idea of what is powerful. Right. And just by existing, what that does to people when you walk into a room in space and things you never have to think about, literally mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. I really hope my little boy doesn't turn into an asshole. This is, I think, it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has really great parents that are helping guide him and model not being an asshole. We try. I mean, like, we all have our days, but yeah. uh, yeah, but it's not the perpetual be, pattern. Be something. <laughs> it is not a perpetual pattern. I don't think so. <laughs> um, well, well, to wrap up, Liz, um, I allow folks to to share their social media or an org or both if that's what they're into. So, um, how can folks connect with you, or is there an organization you'd like to send them to? Um. They can, I literally don't know what my Instagram handle is. Let me look it up real quick. It's, um, uh, it's, oh, it's Lizzie B zero zero. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram, I post almost exclusively memes and then photos of food and my children. So maybe past the Instagram. Um, I'd say in terms of organizations, uh, I've been spending a lot of effort in, um, time and trying to focus on the world's central kitchen. So that's um, the organization that was set up by Jose Andres, where they are currently in, I believe they're like in Poland right now, but they're trying to provide food um, to the refugee families from Ukraine. Um, so if you have some extra time or resources or money, um, they're doing some really good work and they've been doing it around the world for several years. And it's a really great organization. So if anybody is looking for something to donate to, um, you should donate there. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on Flexus with me, Liz, and um, sharing so transparently and authentically about the journey of you becoming the best version of you. Aw, 
Thanks, Jen. It was great to see your face. I miss you. Uh, same to you. We should make this more of a habit, not a wait five years. Yes, I agree. Now that I don't have to talk to you while I'm also working out, I'm very excited. <laughs> That's important. That you, don't, you don't have to talk to me at five o'clock in the morning when it's still dark. Right, exactly. While I make you do burpees or push-ups. Um, yes. Oh, God. Anyway, yeah. This was awesome. Thanks for joining me, friend. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, y'all, I just wanted to do a quick reflection after chatting with Liz. Um, I just have really enjoyed that this season has been this reconnection with folks that I haven't seen or talked to in, you know, this, this case with Liz, like five years. And then the convergence of the time and the place that we meet again and the all the things that think about, like, what happens to you in a single year. And then, you know, in, in this case with Liz and I, not talking in five years and, like, how beautiful to be able to show up in the same time and on the planet in the same place and to be able to have a conversation and expand the way we see the world and grow. And for me, it was an absolute joy to hear this share about becoming a mom and um, thinking out loud a lot of the things I think all of us have thought about, it, whether if you are a mom, considering to be a mom, considering to be a parent, whatever that might be. I think there's all these like questions that whether we say them out loud or are, are conscious of them are happening. And for me, it was really lovely to hear her talk through that and how she navigated it. And I'm just really grateful for her transparency. Um, this human journey, I think we do so much better when we are candid about our truth and candid about where we're trying to figure things out. And I think it just helps us heal and grow and connect to each other. And so I'm just really grateful that Liz took the time to do that with three little babies and um, that she was able to share with me and y'all. So um, a big thank you to Liz again for taking the time to chat with me. Um, I would love to hear what y'all think, um, even if it's about six, <laughs> six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Uh, you can send me a, um, a DM on Instagram, Flexus Podcast. Um, you can add us on Twitter, same thing, Flexus Podcast. Uh, send me a voice memo. Um, you can email me a voice memo or any questions or thoughts that you have at flexuspodcast at gmail.com. Or if you are a Spotify or Anchor user, uh, there's a recording feature right in the app. You can send me a voice memo and it goes directly to me. I would love to hear um, what y'all think. What did this conversation open up for you? Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for being on this journey um, to become the best version of yourself. We are better for it. The world is going to be better for it. The people around you are better for it. And it's the good fight for sure. Um, take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. And I'll see you all on the flip side. <laughs>